Are you ready to face a world turned upside down? Well, Jesus warned that before he returns, our planet will be characterized by massive religious deception. He warned of horrific natural disasters, wars, both cold and hot wars, tsunamis, earthquakes, famines, and plagues. Furthermore, human history will always be characterized by horrific persecution of believers, anti-Semitism, as well as hatred of Christians. But Jesus also comforted us with his words, let not your heart be troubled, because we're looking for the appearing of Messiah, not the anti-Messiah, the Antichrist. For the Lord Almighty has purposed to bring the church age to a close, and who can stop him? His hand is stretched out now to finish the redemption of Israel, and who can turn it back? The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. As humanity struggles with all the turmoil that's happening in the world, the Lord is also certainly dealing with His people in a very deep way, for which we thank Him. As we believe, we are preparing to come to the end of the church age. This is because, miraculously, the fig tree, the nation of Israel, is blossoming once again in its own native soil against all odds, just as Jesus prophesied. God is working out His end-time purposes. He's purging and purifying the true body of Messiah, the authentic church, preparing us for the great catching away through hardships, changing individuals from glory to glory by the transforming power of His Holy Spirit. And at the same time, the prophecies in Ezekiel chapters 36 through 39 are in play as the Mideast and the world will soon be shaken by ongoing developments described in those very relevant and current chapters. Meanwhile, it's important to acknowledge that the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus permeates the New Testament. And as painful as the development is to watch, the beginnings of the final apostasy are also looming all around us. Everybody who has discerning eyes can clearly see the counterfeit world religion that's beginning to take shape, and it will be led by the final false prophet, history's ultimate spiritual con man. Take even a casual glimpse, and the signs of a false world religion are clearly visible. The future Antichrist and his false prophet will coexist to build together an empire in a hybrid religion that will conveniently splice together components of all the major religions, but also this final conglomerate religion will conveniently ignore basic biblical truths. Due to spiraling technology, the globalists will finally be able to master the art of tyranny that Hitler, Stalin, Mao, Napoleon, and other conquerors were unable to complete. 
But even now, the future Antichrist cannot come to power without first a vacuum created by the removal of the restraining influence of the true church. The genuine church, consisting of born-again believers, is to be evacuated when the last Gentile is saved. Then the Antichrist and the false prophet will move into that vacuum to rule the world, but for only a brief moment in time. God will allow a short period of unprecedented world tyranny and pour out his judgments against a Christ-rejecting world. The apostate ecumenical church will be left behind and will be assimilated into the new world religion that will worship the Antichrist, who was called in scripture, the beast. The worldwide shaking caused by the rapture, followed by the outpouring of God's judgments, will cause people to cry for a deliverer. We've seen in the last couple of years just how compliant people can become to kowtow to government regulations. And the Bible says that the whole world will toe the line. Tragically, according to Revelation 13, 15, Anybody who refuses to worship the image of the beast will be killed. You see, to refuse to take the mark of Antichrist will mean an individual will be labeled an insurrectionist and must be sentenced to death. We're given a preview in Revelation 13, 17, which foretells that no one will be able to buy or to sell except those who have the mark. It will be some sort of cashless technology that will assimilate a person into the Antichrist's damnable system. It says he causes them all to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. You see, this is because Satan is an imitator. He wants to mark people on their foreheads or hands because, I was just reading in the Word of God this morning, where God said to the people of Israel in the book of Genesis that his ordinances would be like a sign on their hand and a symbol on their forehead. So thus Satan counterfeits God. Furthermore, the book of Revelation admonishes the generation that will be confronted with the mark of the beast. Herein is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. The number is that of a man. His number is 666. This teaches us that people are going to have to pray to gain wisdom and discernment in order not to be deceived. Because the Bible is very clear that a person who takes the mark will be changed forever and then they will be beyond repentance. They will incur the wrath of God and eternal torment. That's why in the here and now, we must take seriously every God-given opportunity to share the gospel while there's yet time. What a responsibility we have. Pundits constantly say that we're living in a post-truth generation, but the battle for truth is generational. The battle for truth has been going on for millennia, and it's not a spectator sport. We all have to get involved. Our times demand the utmost discernment and the gift of discerning of spirits is priceless and can even be a matter of life and death. 
In fact, in 2 Thessalonians 2.11, the Apostle Paul warned that not loving the truth will result in being deceived into a great delusion. It troubles me that in church after church, hardly any messages are being preached on the impending rapture, as well as the second coming of Jesus. Do you know that this lack of preparation, this lack of teaching is in fact a sure sign of the apostasy of the last days? Even in the churches, people will not be looking for the return of the Lord and how tragic that is. Many preachers say that end time prophecy is just too scary or too confusing. Well, I admit eschatology, that's the study of the end times, does require diligent study, especially the specific prophecies in the book of Daniel. But the return of Jesus is actually a very clear teaching in the Bible. The Bible teaches that this world will not continue indefinitely, but that history will culminate with the Lord's return. This is our hope. The Lord's appearing is the blessed hope of every believer. And we're looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus the Messiah. That's why I often admonish us in these broadcasts that it's a fruitless effort to get caught up and distracted in side issues like the environment. This earth does have a sell-by date, but the Lord will return long before we run out of natural resources. The Bible clearly teaches that the Lord Jesus has a two-part ministry over a long stretch of time. The first phase of his ministry, his first coming, was to fulfill the role of the suffering servant, the Redeemer of Israel and the Savior of the world whereas his second coming will be to fulfill the prophecies concerning King Messiah, the ruler of the earth from David's throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years. And when he returns, the Lord will destroy the Antichrist and the false prophet. Believers who are alive at that time will be sorted like sheep from the goats and will be able to enter into his glorious kingdom during which all the promises to Israel in the Hebrew Bible will finally be fulfilled. Revelation chapter 20 tells us the Messiah's kingdom on earth will last for a thousand years and thereafter the earth and the universe will be renovated and replaced with a new heaven and a new earth where believers will dwell with the Lord forever. But first in the future, there is predicted a time of great tribulation identified by the prophet Daniel as a seven-year period. And the second half, for three and a half years, will be the most horrific and intense. This great tribulation will occur directly prior to the second coming of Jesus. And people at that time will know they are in the great tribulation when they see what? When they see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel and also referenced by Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 15. When the abomination takes place in the holy place, in the temple of God, a person at that time will know for sure that they're living in the time of Jacob's trouble, the very last of the last days. You see, the Antichrist is going to set up an image of himself in the holy place and demand worship. 
Jesus also prophesied in Matthew 24, 21, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And both the Gospels of Mark and Matthew interject the phrase, let the reader understand. This is a special message to the generation that witnesses the abomination of the Antichrist that desecrates the temple. This phrase, let the reader understand, is parenthetically inserted in the text for a future time because the apostles would not live to see the abomination. The Holy Spirit was addressing the Jews in a generation far in the future. By then, the Jewish people will have started to read the prophet Daniel, which has been like a sealed book to them because many rabbis have forbidden them to study the book of Daniel. But in Daniel chapter 9, they will discover the exact time of Messiah's first coming when he was cut off for the sins of the people. And then they will be divinely led to discover Jesus's own message to the Jewish people in his Olivet Discourse about the final generation. Finally, the Jewish people will understand why Jesus had wept over Jerusalem because the timing of his first coming so clearly announced in Daniel 9 and verses 25 to 26 had been hidden from their eyes. But in the future, the Jewish people will begin to examine the prophecies in the book of Daniel and they will calculate that from the time of the decree of Artaxerxes to rebuild the temple, until the time of Messiah the Prince being executed for the sins of the people, that time was exactly fulfilled to the day in the life of Jesus. Yeshua is his Hebrew name. It says in total, 70 weeks of years were prophesied to Daniel for the Jewish people, and 69 of those weeks have already been fulfilled beginning from the decree of Artaxerxes to the time of the crucifixion. Please understand that the 70 weeks were decreed upon the people Israel and upon their holy city. And therefore, the church was not a part of that history of Israel. And that's why the church will not be a part of the final 70th week of seven years that remain for Israel in the future. And why? because that week of seven years belongs to the Jewish people, not to the church. We have to rightly divide the word of truth. The church will have been completed with the fullness of the Gentiles before Daniel's final 70th week. You see, the church is a mystery that was sandwiched in between the 69 weeks and the last remaining 70th week belonging to Israel. So Israel has one final prophetic week of years, which Bible scholars call the time of Jacob's trouble. That's found in Jeremiah 37, declaring how awful that day will be. There will be no other day like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob, but he will be saved out of it. Hallelujah. Although the church has always had some Jewish members, it is still a separate entity from the nation of Israel. And that's why the Bible mentions the church, the Gentiles, and the Jews as three separate groups. We mustn't confuse them. 
As the great Anglican bishop R.C. Riles once wrote, the church must not appropriate for itself the wonderful Bible passages that primarily belong to the Jews. No doubt the church may make secondarily spiritual use of these passages, but let us never forget that the Holy Spirit first caused these prophecies to be written concerning Israel. Time would fail me if I would attempt to quote all the passages of Scripture in which the future history is revealed. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, Zephaniah, and Zechariah all declare the same thing, predicting that at the end of this dispensation, the Jews would be restored to their own land and to the favor of God. Now let's consider Mark chapter 13, where Jesus admonishes, learn the parable from the fig tree. He said, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know summer is near. Even so, you will know when you see these things happening that he is near right at the door. Truly, Jesus said, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away. Furthermore, Jesus warned, be on your guard and stay alert for you don't know when the appointed time will come. He said, it will be like a man going on a journey who put his servants in charge of his house and instructed the doorkeeper to keep watch. Therefore, he said, keep watch because you don't know when the master is going to return, whether in the evening at midnight, when the rooster crows or in the morning. Otherwise, he may arrive without notice and find you sleeping. So Jesus said, I say to you what I say to everyone, keep watch. Whoever is alive to see these things happening should know that the coming of the Lord is near right at the door. So who are the ones who will be alive at that time? Well, it won't be the church of true born-again believers because the rapture, the great catching away, is a singular event described in the New Testament that we simply cannot ignore or discredit as if it was never predicted or will never happen, as so many are doing today. The rapture is clearly described in the Bible as a future event that will take place in the twinkling of an eye, whether believers want to admit it or not. And it will happen when the world looks fairly normal. Whereas the second coming of Jesus physically to earth will be a cataclysmic event. The sun and the moon will be darkened, the stars falling. And then against that dramatic black backdrop, Jesus will come in great glory and splendor. But the rapture, on the other hand, is described as a sudden event that happens before the storm, so to speak. It just happens out of the blue. Jesus described it in John chapter 14. And the Apostle Paul said it's a mystery that he described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, Jesus' own description of the rapture in John 14 is especially comforting during these uncertain times. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go 
and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. On the other hand, as many are claiming, it's not comforting at all if you think that you have to endure the great tribulation of the Antichrist during a time of unprecedented judgment and upheavals. No, the Lord is coming first for his bride. And furthermore, please understand that the church is a parenthetical entity that will continue only until the fullness of the Gentiles is gathered into it. The church is a separate body from Israel. It's a mystery that was hidden in God and that only came into being after the Jewish people rejected and therefore postponed the rule of King Messiah. When Jesus clearly saw that he was being rejected by the Jewish authorities of his day, he said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Paul's revelation and description of the mystery of the rapture is also comforting. He wrote to the Thessalonians because they were under the mistaken impression at the time that they were already in the tribulation. But Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Messiah will be first to rise. And after that, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, Paul said, encourage one another with these words. And do you realize that's the same comforting parallel teaching as Jesus gave in John 14? Believers are going to be called up into the clouds. The Lord will come to collect us in the atmosphere and take us to his father's house. That's the rapture. Literally, the word rapture is harpazo in the Greek, from which we get the word harpoon in English. So the Lord will catch us up. Acts 1.11, describing the ascension of Jesus into heaven, also predicts the rapture, because two men in white said to the disciples, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go up into heaven, in the clouds. You see, the church is a separate entity that will be completed one day, and Israel is separate. That's why the Bible distinguishes between Jews, Gentiles, and the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 32, that verse mentions the church the Jews, and the Gentiles as three separate categories. What will happen when the true church is evacuated? Well, at that moment, Romans eleven twenty five will be fulfilled. The fullness of the Gentiles will be complete. When the church is fully full, when God has determined that the last person who should be saved has believed the gospel, then the great catching away will complete the church, which is a parenthetical body, as I said, sandwiched between Daniel's 69th and 70 weeks of years in Israel history, as described in Daniel chapter 9. Consider this also. In the book of Revelation, the church appears in 
chapters 1 to 3. But starting in chapter 4, the church disappears until chapter 19. In the first three chapters, the church is mentioned 19 times, but not again until chapter 19 when the Lord returns. Instead, the book of Revelation picks up the theme once again of the Jewish people who preached the gospel through 144,000 Israelite evangelists and two awesome witnesses who were resurrected in front of the world's TV cameras. Many Bible scholars believe the two witnesses will be, in fact, Moses and Elijah. When the Jews take up their role to be a light to the nations, a great worldwide revival will take place. And at the end of the Great Tribulation, the Lord Jesus will return with His church and destroy the goat nations as described in Matthew chapter 25. And the godly believers who have not submitted to the mark of the beast will enter into the millennial kingdom. They are described as sheep. And Jesus invites them, Come, you beloved of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. So if, as some teach, the rapture took place at the end of the tribulation, there would be no living believers to populate the millennial kingdom. Think about that. Well, I like this. One pastor described what he called eschatology 101. At the rapture, the earth remains the same, but at the second coming, the earth is transformed. At the rapture, living saints are translated. At the second coming, no saints are translated. They're simply taken into the kingdom alive in their human form. At the rapture, the reign of Antichrist is triggered, but at the second coming, the reign of King Messiah is triggered. Amen. Well, most of all today, without apology, I need to say that if you've never invited the Lord into your heart, it's time, it's late. Ask the Savior to come into your heart right now to give you peace and security and the free gift of eternal life, the gift of a regenerated, born-again spirit so that you will be born from above and will possess the free gift of eternal life. Your sins will be forgiven in Jesus as you pass from death into life. So I urge you to surrender to the Lord while there's yet time. Thank God we don't have to dread an endless cycle of reincarnation because eternal life is the gift of God to everybody who repents of their sins and puts their faith in the finished atoning work of Messiah. No need to try to work your way into heaven through good deeds, because our good deeds will never be good enough to satisfy a holy God. Only the sinless Savior satisfies God, and He imputes to us His own righteousness. So how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. Today, I want to leave you with 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 4, which declares Messiah died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and He was buried, and He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Amen. Now, I want to draw your attention to our website, exploits.tv, which brings you news on current and end-time events regarding both the church and the nation of Israel. At our website and our Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, you'll find a library of free videos to watch 24-7. 
Daniel 11.32 declares the people who know their God will be strong and will carry out exploits, meaning we're going to fulfill the works of the Lord in the remaining time before his imminent return. The Lord is at hand. Maranatha. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord be with you all. Shalom.